Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen. We are thrilled to join you on 610 ESPN, ready to help you move into the weekend talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, you have returned from your travels around the country. Well, from two places, Minneapolis and Houston. And I have to say, this is this trip was another example of why Philadelphia sports fans are so much better than anyone else. Okay, so we'll start with this, and then we'll get to some Phillies, and yeah. then we'll talk a little bit about sports betting, mm-hmm. being legalized, little NBA lottery, and then we'll get to our High Hopes uh, minor league report, because we had a fun time there, too. But your travels this week took you to Houston. Yes. Where... You would think they might be excited about the fact that they are playing in the NBA Conference Finals against Golden State Warriors. Well, if they were, they weren't above ground. No uh, car flags going no, around? My, my flight got in a couple hours before game one, and we took an Uber right by the stadium. My hotel was three, three blocks away from the Toyota no tra- Center. No traffic? No traffic. Well, first of all, it's Houston. Everybody, it, it's amazing. It was record heat, so everybody's like below ground. Nobody actually comes out. It's like a zombie show. Uh, but with regard to the fans, I'm sure the stadium was sold out. I'm sure it was raucous in there. But it's not like here. There weren't a bunch of people walking around wearing Rockets jerseys. There weren't people, as you had mentioned before the show, there weren't a bunch of people driving with car flags on their cars. I always pay attention to that when it becomes yeah. playoffs times and everybody gets the, the car flag that's now driving around out there. It's it's more here it's more of a community experience. Like people get into it who aren't really fans, more they're just happy that the city is doing well. I did not get that impression down in Houston. Well, the, have you watched any of that series? I saw I saw highlights of the ankle breaker moves uh, from the other night. From Chris Paul on Mm -hmm. on Steph Curry. Do you watch when the Sixers are are done? Not as intently. Not as intently? No. I I still I still watch. I I haven't really thought the games have been very good so far. Um, You know, it's basically LeBron against Boston. (laughs) And then, you know, you've got Golden State Houston, which it's a series now going back and forth. They've each won one and um, we'll Well, see what happens. Now that Houston's decided not to play James James Harden versus the Warriors, it's going to be a good series. I mean, the first game was literally Harden just backing down people for 19 seconds and shooting the ball. You should have gone. We thought about it, but it, it didn't excite me that much. All right, well, we'll get back to something that does excite you. You're yeah. back in the area. Uh, the Phillies, when they're not being rained out, they're playing good baseball. They have the second best record in the National League. You predicted that, right? Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> I, I did predict over 500, but they have the second best record in the National League. And it, But for Hector Neris, they would have the best record in the National League. We're going to get to Hector Neris in a second, because I know you have your opinions about Neris and Gabe Kapler's use of Neris and, and much more. But yeah. the Phillies reached eight games over 500 this week for the first time since 2011. I mean, it shows you where the team has come from is going to, but it's not, I mean, it's the pitching that's doing it. It, you know, Pavetta, another dominating performance with, with his career high in strikeouts. You've got Nola out there pitching like an ace. You've got uh, Arietta out there dominating. I you mean, know what's amazing? Arietta, when he signed, there was all this exciting that we're, excitement we were getting this Cy Young winner. He's almost like an afterthought now. 
Because the the young pitchers who came up through the system are doing well. Well, he's the constant. They're right. they're the story. Mm-hmm. It's you know it's surprising that Pavetta is pitching at a, at the level that he is right now. It's surprising that Velasquez has had some of the games that he has, especially surprising to you. I yes, know. it is. Um, but Arietta is is doing what people expected him, and Aaron Nola is showing people who question whether he's an ace what his stuff really he's is. He's an ace. I mean, there's he, no question anymore. And he he just controls a game, and there's a rhythm when he's pitching. It's it's fun to watch him pitch right now. Not as not as fun as it is to watch Bartolo Colon. Did you see him get hit in the <laughs> gut with the ball and then throw it out? <laughs> is he going to be the guy who works at the circus and gets like the bowling ball yeah, shot he, into his? He's going to be the slow <laughs> slow motion cannonball guy. I he, he didn't even flinch. No, he, he stopped, picked up the ball, and threw it over first and threw the guy and out. And he's 45 years old. It was basically better than using his glove. Yeah. By the way, I didn't know Bartolo Colon was actually pitching in the major leagues he's anymore. He's pitching well. Yeah. He's got like a two-point-something ERA. It'll balloon. It may. Well, It'll he's balloon. Hey. I mean, I'm not one to talk, but I mean, you know. Okay, so the Phillies are 16-6 and six at Citizens Bank Park. That's the second-best home record behind the Yankees. Not bad company right I'll, now. I'll take it. Uh, you expect the start from a Dubal Herrera who has reached base safely in every game this season? No, not in every game this season. No, not? Well, he didn't play the first game, did he? Every game he's played in. Because remember, he got benched for the first game. Which, in hindsight, seeing how he's played, probably isn't the best move. Well, unless that was something that lit a fire under him. I mean, you never know psychologically what kind of effect in it. But uh, look... Nobody expected him to be batting between 350 and 360 a he quarter of the way the through NL the season. He leads the NL in batting average. Nobody could have really seen that coming. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> by the way, did you know John Crook asked a, a pretty interesting question the other day? So he said, if he gets on on an error, does that count as? And they said no. But he's on base. Right. Why would that not count? It's probably an unwritten rule of baseball, Jeff. Oh, don't start you me with that. You know that, that Do I don't understand. Do not start me with the unwritten rules. <laughs> that, would, that, though, would have to be a written rule. It would be? Yeah, it would have to be. Uh, you I'm, can't have an unwritten rule that is a rule that you have to go by. I'm already confused, so yeah. I'm not going back there. <laughs> um, all right. Let's, let's talk yeah. Hector Neris. It's closer by committee is what it seems, or closer by committee by inning. No, it, it, but, but the, <laughs> no, it's not even by inning. It's li- it's literally by out. I mean, look, and, it's hard to criticize Kapler at this point for the team's record is what it is. They are whatever you think of them. They're they're playing good baseball. Guess what? It won't be that hard. For there me to is criticize. there is my. Disclaimer: yeah. Before you go on your rant about Gabe Kapler. It, it, go ahead. What has frustrated me, and it's frustrated me since the first week, is this Tony La Russa over-analyzing, over-managing a game. You, you, put the hand, you put the game in the hand of the best players at the moment. So, so the, other, the other night, you had a game where Ramos, w- with five or six pitches, gets two outs. Was dominant. Yeah, was uh, cruising along, looking good. So you think you sit back, it, relax in the bullpen, watch so his game in. Find me the logic of taking that guy out when he's thrown five or six pitches. He couldn't have been tired. That can't be the reason to get one more out 
Are you telling me that he can't get the one more out? Why are you bringing Hector Neris in and don't tell me that it's because you want to gain confidence? Because there is a much higher risk than there is reward. Hector Neris, okay, fine. He got the last out. Bravo. I don't think that's going to do as much as it could have done damage to him and to the team if he came in and blew another one. He's got three blown saves this season. Mm -hmm. He did not blow his one out non-save because it's not a save at that point. Mm -hmm. Just his one out confidence builder or whatever you're going to call it. But you don't think that either of them should really be the closer to begin with. Well, I don't know whether Ramos should or shouldn't. Uh, my, My opinion is, is that you have a young, strong guy in your bullpen now that you decided to rush up. You know, he went. He pitched eight games at Double A this year. He may have Four my games favorite name on the team, Sir Anthony Dominguez. Yes. Well, there there is a guy coming up through the system who has a better name than that. Who's that? Archimedes Gamboa. Okay, come uh, on, I'll give you if, that. If he if he makes it to the major leagues, everybody's going to want it, and they're going to want a first name jersey. I can't wait till he calls into the show and Brett has to tell us who's calling <laughs> in. <laughs> Brett, <laughs> start working on it now. Archimedes Gamboa. Okay. Archimedes Gambola. See, there you go. There's going to be a spelling test when this is over. (laughs) Oh, spelling bay. Yeah, it's going to turn out Archie Griffin. (laughs) So, so tell me, uh, what would your ideal? Why would you? Why? Why would you not have Sir Anthony Dominguez? I I thought that was the whole reason you brought him up. He throws 97, 98 miles an hour, and the ball moves like a cutter, and has looked good in his appearances on the major league level. Right. So what's what's the reason for not making him the closer? So what's your argument for him? You're not going to give me an answer, are you? Well, look, I thought that was the whole point of bringing him up. Right. I, I didn't have faith in Neris to begin with this season. I think they're forcing a square peg into a round hole. I, I just don't think that at this point in his career, he does not have to make up to be a closer on a Phillies team. He just doesn't look confident when he comes in the game. He he doesn't have the makeup to be a closer. Period. Well, that's he's never. You, you don't want a guy who's got the biggest smile on the team as a closer. It, no, it, you want the angry snarling guy. Right. Who's, it, th- those are the guys that are successful. Now they burn out after a couple of years, but so you've seen. Oh, by the way, and mm-hmm. just one other thing on Houston. Since we're on closers, <laughs> the people in Houston thinks think that the Phillies ripped them off. Because they got 100 miles Giles who can't get the ball anywhere near the strike zone. <laughs> well, we got Vince Velasquez, and there's another guy in the minors in AAA who was the Phillies pitcher of the year in the minors, Tom Eshelman. Who, Vince Velasquez, who you'd like to see in the bullpen. Yes. <laughs> and, but Eshelman, you, you like. You, uh-huh. you have. Yeah. You have good. Okay, so. I was I was surprised. I thought Sir Anthony Dominguez was being brought up to be the closer. Mm-hmm. You're a young team. You're going to see what works. I don't understand the point of keeping him as another arm in the bullpen, rather than grooming him to be what you want him to be. It's all matchups. This team has gone so far from old school baseball to analytics. It's not. This has not been a progression. This is swinging from way to the left to way to the right. And there's got to be a middle ground to it because the way the baseball usually works is you get a closer that you can count on to get anybody out and you should have an eighth inning man who should be able to get through that eighth inning no matter lefties or righties. And they have that guy in Tommy Hunter. And then the rest of those guys fall into place. And what Adam we have, Morgan's being brought back up too. So you'll have him right. in the ball time. And, and so, but that, but that's how... Relievers work best when they know what their role is. 
The problem that they got into, and if you remember early in the year last year, one of the problems they had early in the season was people didn't know their roles. And then once they realized what their roles were, once the coach put them in a position and said, this is where you're going to be in. This is when you need to mentally start preparing for that inning. Things got better. I think Adam Morgan was actually one of the guys who said that, is that people feel comfortable in their roles. I'm going to have to get a know your, know your role sound drop. There that, you go. I'm going to have to, mm-hmm. to get Instead that Instead of you. slow your role, you're going to do know your role? Know your role. Okay. I'm, I'm sure The Rock's got some good stuff for me <laughs> that I can take back. So they got a tough stretch coming up. Their next 41 games leading into July 1st, just four of them are against teams with a record under 500. And, and that one team is uh, what, the Dodgers? The Dodgers. Yeah. Not who you'd expect to be under 500. Um, games on the road, tough series. Those teams have a combined 558 winning percentage in 2018. So you're going to learn a lot about this young team Mm -hmm. over the next stretch before the 4th of July. I think this team might be slump-proof. I think that the pitching is good enough that it's going to be hard for them to get it. I think when you only have one or two guys in your rotation, you are more prone to getting these long slumps. I think that they have good enough pitching that I think that they might be slump-proof. I only hope that one month from now, Mm -hmm. I can take that sound clip and play it in our show that week of the 4th of July. (laughs) I think I made up a new word, by the way, And you're a soothsayer and very accurate with your prediction. Uh, Wait, will that mean that you will go on the air and tell the entire Delaware Valley that I was right? Yeah, maybe. Okay. Didn't think so. <laughs> don't, don't ask. Don't ask for that much. Okay. That, you know, you're you're, you're yeah, going know. you're going far here. I'm still a little jet lagged. All right. I, I need your legal expertise here. Explain to me what happened this week with sports betting. What? No button. I we're in the wrong studio. Oh, come on. Sorry. I'll get you. I'll get you. So what happened? Do you, do you want me to do like a dun dun? No, go ahead. You can forget it. What's your, dun, so, dun. What's, so what's your question? Thank I'll, you, Brett. I'll, I'll put on my little robe. So yeah. uh, sports betting's legal now. He, yeah. You happy? Well, I mean, look, I did it when it was illegal and, and <laughs> quit it and, and probably won't, and won't be going back. So it really well, the, there's already this negative effect from it, which is, of course, the NCA has to stick its finger in here and ruin the whole thing because they said that they're now at least temporarily not going to try. They're going to try not to hold certain events in states that have legalized gambling. But that they changed their mind. When? So they, following the decision, they said they'll tempor- temporarily allow states that sponsor single-game ga- sports wagering to host championships, yeah. which opens them— Oh, but they, to, want, but they want the government to come they up want with the a, government a, a tighter solution. To, so they want sort of a federal solution rather than a state-by-state state hodgepodge because then they have to fight for their peace one state at a time. Well, I, guess I what? A, when, when did the NCAA— get to dictate to the federal or state governments anything. Well, I didn't say that they were right. (laughs) I just said that that's what they were doing. But it opens the door for an NCAA regional in March Madness to be held in Vegas. Yeah. I mean, if they're taking away that that limitation. Well, they have have a nice stadium there, and they're about to get a big football stadium there, too. There's that impact. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, we weren't surprised by the decision. Um, no, in, in fact, the funny thing was, not that we get into politics on this show, but the last governor in New Jersey, who was a Republican, and the current governor in New Jersey, who was a Democrat, both wanted this to happen. Well, they just want the money. Right. <laughs> but it, okay, It's so. going to be a good source of revenue. I could tell you, I was in the Bahamas a couple of years ago, and I got stranded down there for an extra day, which happened to be a Sunday, and it was during football season. And I'm not a huge gambler, but I had a blast sitting at the sports book 
watching all the NFL games and being able to bet a little bit on it. And and I think that that will be a lot of fun, and I think it'll be good for Atlantic City. Mark Cuban basically had that take. He said it doubled the value of franchises overnight. He said um, it will increase interest. It will add to what happens in our arena and stadiums. It will increase the viewership for our biggest customers online and TV. Helps traditional television because it's much lower latency, whereas online because of cachet, it's much higher latency. It's If it's going to help <coughs> Mark Cuban, I'm against it now. Well, Mark Cuban had a bad <laughs> night with the draft anyway. He tried to tank, got, got fined for it, and then didn't win the lottery. Oh, so. poor baby. But, okay, so I have a couple questions for you as yeah. an attorney. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there will be a federal standard? Like, how do you... You'll have different sports no. books in different states that have different lines. The whole point of this is that states should get to decide this. So why is there going to be a federal standard? The only reason that anybody wants a federal standard are the leagues themselves, because it's easier for them. And I think it's they think it's easier for them to control a piece of the pie which is exactly why it's not going to happen. The only way that there will be a federal standard is if somehow there's a bunch of funny business that gets caught and then the federal government checks in. I don't think they're going to do that. I think this is going to be a state-by-state solution. I heard people say it will put the bookie out of business. I don't believe that because the bookie operates on credit. You know, you're going to have to go and, and pay up front well, to place your also, bet. The bookie, the bookie bets also has to do with convenience. You're still the people that aren't going to want to go down to the casinos or somewhere, depending on what not, the rule is. It's not just going to be at the casinos. I mean, look, you look at New well, Jersey. Depends. You don't you, know you, yet you, what you, the rules no, are. But you, you do have an idea because you look at New Jersey. And you're not just talking casinos. Now, obviously, the way New Jersey is going to work, they were they did the suit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mammoth Racetrack wanted to have sports book up like this week. Basically, the legislation that's been introduced says anybody who opens something with a sports book before the legislation's passed won't be able to open a sports book. Right. So Mammoth said they'll well, wait. You can't do that. You got to wait until you get laws in. Place. I would think that it's up and running by the start of the football season. However, just across the bridge in Cherry Hill, there used to be Garden State Park Racetrack. Mm-hmm. There's a casino gaming license there. They are going to build a sports betting parlor there. Where? On the site of the Garden State property there. They have a license that still exists there. There's not that much empty space there. There's plenty of empty space for them to put in a place for people to place their bets. So you're saying right next to the Home Depot, they're going to they're going to put some, in a sports book? Some they have the ability to and they've already discussed that they want to. So you're not going to have to just go to Atlantic City. Yes, it's going to boost the casinos and boost the tracks. Mm-hmm. But there are additional places that have gaming licenses that are going to be able to open. I don't look, this is kind of a regional discussion we're having here, but with regard to Cherry Hill, I don't know if that's going to work. Why can't Pennsylvania now have sports betting? Well, it depends on they the can. law that Pennsylvania passes. Right. So what, if Pennsylvania could do it at the casinos right on the waterfront if they wanted to. That's my point. Or so but it, Pennsylvania could also say you can do it at the stadium. Right. We, we talked about but this. That's, but that's my point. So you, you have Cherry Hill right on the other side of the river, and there's a bunch of casinos right outside Philadelphia, in Philadelphia, and the stadiums are right there. So if I'm Pennsylvania, I'm going to rush to get it up before New Jersey starts building things right on the other side of the uh, river. Uh, because what's going to stop, um, let's say, Camden? Everybody's going to rush to 
put right. it up to try and get the revenues, and they have to figure out where the revenues go, how they're divided, what the regulations are. So now every state is now going to be in the mad rush to have sports betting. So I saw this take, which I, I found interesting. Uh, it's this person, Gabriel Freeman, who's the director of sports law program at Tulane, said, this is going to change how we have viewed sports for the past 100 years. It's called the gambleization of sports. Fans will become much more focused on gambling than following a team. It will make every second of every game of every week interesting to fans. When, the, as when was, was this article written? He just put it in the New York Times for well, it. What, what, where has he been? I think what he's saying is that more people will have the ability to do it. And and I think that the, that gambling the the phrase that he just used you don't like the gambleization no it already happened we I mean how many times it happened with fantasy that's what I'm that's my point how many times have I we talked about fantasy football but, on the show and that it has that it has made it so that so people no longer follow teams they follow players but you're going to be able to rather than just bet on games right. you're going to be able to bet on individuals they're over under point right. totals and so, so you're it, going it, to it'll it's, it'll it's going to continue it's but, gonna, but it already happened it has it's already started but it's going to continue that but at the same time and we're really the only we're the, really the only country that it hasn't happened to cuz if you go to Europe you can go up you, to the betting booth at the soccer stadium and i think that that's where we're going to end up going right. but I I also think that, and you and I have had this, you laugh when I know about a goalie for Winnipeg when we're talking about the Jets because I play fantasy hockey, right. but it's going to get people more involved in sports as opposed to less involved in sports and engaged because they're going to pay attention to nuances they never looked at before because financially their livelihood will depend on well, it. Well, the gamblers will. Uh, not everybody will. I mean, it's not like everybody's going to gamble. No, of course not. But what is the effect of... On it for people. I mean, look, I I have make no secret that before I was old enough to walk into a casino, I was trying to place bets on sports games with a bookie. It didn't work <gasps> out for me. No, <laughs> it, it, it did not work out well for me, and it's not something that I would choose you, to revisit. You still have your legs. I do have my so legs. Fine. That's why I make picks yeah. against you during the season, <laughs> and and not with any financial backing behind them. Right. What is the impact of? People on society who make the argument that now it's going to be more in front of people. People are going to be able to go across state lines to avoid one state versus the other. Do you do you take any credence to that? No. Okay. The ship sailed. The, the gambling ship has sailed. We, we, now that we have casinos in other places other than New Jersey and Las Vegas, they're all over the place. Everybody talks about gambling is going to be the downfall of society. It already happened. The same people are going to gamble. It's just going to, there'll be more taxes paid on it. All right, we're going to go from sports betting and gambling. Yeah, right. We're going to go from sports betting and gambling to another version of a lottery. Yes. An NBA lottery this week. Uh, Mark Cuban's tanking didn't work out for him. Where? He uh, he got fined a couple hundred grand and still ended up with the fifth pick. Uh, <laughs> Phoenix ends up winning yeah, the lottery. But that's not the big story around here. The big story around here is the Lakers did not get our pick. They did not, right. and that means that I mean the Celtics did not get our th- Lakers pick this year. The Sixers will have the tenth pick, and they'll have I think the twenty sixth pick mm-hmm. overall in the first round, which they could. Trade, trade into getting a higher pick. We'll talk about that in a second, but it also means that next season's pick, be it Sacramento or the Sixers pick, whichever is the Highest, higher pick, yeah. will convey to Boston. The better pick. That'll yeah. convey to Boston right. as the second part of the, the Tatum trade, mm-hmm. which again will be looked at upon for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that people know where people are picking, there is lots of speculation uh, about what will happen. First of all, do you watch the lottery? 
the, the I, most. I don't watch the lottery. I watch the draft. So you don't watch them drawing ping pong balls with numbers on it? And no. It was an hour special. No. The most awkward part of it who, was who, that they who, sat Elton Brand at the desk with the Boston Celtics representative. Yeah. Like they were at this little tight desk <laughs> that looked like it was too small. What is it, the kitty table? It looked like they were crammed at a kitty table next to each other. It was kind of awkward, especially what just happened So how the did they do it this year? Did, did they make sure they that... They picked ping pong balls and <laughs> said what okay. order you were. All right. Well, you know, you, you don't want to do it where, you know, you have the cards in there and they freeze one card. Supposedly, nah, they, they the, so that they, they know they which did one to the grab. Unveil. They they basically right. did the top ten first, and then did you know ten through three, mm-hmm. and then you know do it for a commercial break. Right. Here's e- what. Here's even what we I, know. who watch everything, can't yeah. watch the drawing of ping pong balls. <laughs> I can't go there. You, re- you really didn't watch it? No, I, I didn't. think you did. I flipped on for a second to see Dan Gilbert's kid with a bow tie again, and they oh, were, God. and like if they're doing a feature on the owner's son being a good luck charm for like the tenth year in a row, and then the team ends up with the eighth pick, so you're who, not much of a good luck charm. So the Cleveland pick came from where? How did they get the eighth pick in the draft? Uh, I think that was the wasn't that the Kyrie Irving trade with Boston. But but, but Boston wouldn't have had the eighth pick. They wouldn't have had a lottery pick. I think they that must was have a, wasn't, that a, else. wasn't that a Brooklyn pick that oh, was acquired? Yeah, okay. Um, I'm pretty sure that mm-hmm. somehow in the wheeling and dealing, that's a Brooklyn pick somewhere along the way. So here's what we know from the draft. We know that DeAndre Ayton and Luka Doncic are the two players that will likely get picked one and two. Who who do you have for the Sixers first pick? Who do you want? Look, I Better, mean, it's it's too hard to predict number ten now. I but who do you want? I don't know. I mean, everything that I see, you know, the local people talk about Mikel Bridges, right? Because they're looking for a shooter to replace mm-hmm. Covington, and he's mature, and, and he's yep, he played plays defense. In, a, in a system mm-hmm. that that in the area he knows it, and he's a tough, hard nosed player, right? So, th- I mean, that's sort of what you hear. I don't know enough. Well, he's perfect because he fits us. He'll fit that small forward position that but we need. It's only perfect depending on what other moves they make. If they make trades and have other players in here, it depends who well, you Well, they're going to need in. shooters. They're going to need people at the small forward shooting spot because... I thought Ben Simmons is going to be our magic shooter next year. I think, look, I, I still he's believe be a lot that. Better next year. I still think he's going to be a good shooter and that he's got it. Snarky. But, but I still don't think that Covington is a starter. I think Bellinelli is going to get a lot of money in this offseason, so the Sixers cannot afford to, to spend it on him. Uh, I hope they get Ilyasova, but they're going to have to get him on the cheap. Um, he's going to have to take a discount to stay here. Otherwise, he's going to go. So the, you're losing shooter. You don't know about J.J. Redick because he was on a one-year deal. Sixers aren't going to pay him $25 million again. So there's, there's a lot of pieces that need to be filled in in this offseason. So this draft pick actually does matter because the new guys you'll have coming in other than the draft pick are going to be Timmy. And you got to hope that he can stay healthy and he can play better. And um, Firkin Korkmaz. Assuming that they make that pick. You know, it depends what, what players they ship out. If if you're talking, Are you talking you know, about the Kawhi Leonard well, trade? Well, you see that today where yeah. they... And, and look, I have no idea the validity of any of these. You're going to see so many things speculated about. But if you're talking pieces and I'm San Antonio, I'm going to want a draft pick right, back so along I'm, with I'm gonna I'm going to switch roles with you, okay? I'm going to I'm going to play Jason right now. So I'll ask the question. <laughs> you're and, too tall and, to play and, Jason. And, and you and you're going to you're going to have to have an opinion. Ready for this? I have no opinion. So, so Kawhi Leonard for Dario Saric, Markel Fultz and the first round pick. Probably yes, but I'll tell you my concern. 
Uh, I was going to say, you, taking into account the rumors you, about You and Kawhi I have Leonard. the same concern about yeah. whether he is being bad-mouthed by the franchise because they don't like what he's doing or whether there's legitimate issues to his role in a locker room as a leader and a player. Mm-hmm. So in terms of a skill set... While I don't want to give up Sarich, and I have no idea what Fultz is and don't know what the 10th pick is, you know what you're getting as a player there. And he's only 20. He'll be 27. With with Kawhi, and that Mm -hmm. gives you a big three where you could still sign another free agent. I mean, what they would probably do is try and send Bayless in that deal, too, is what I saw, (laughs) to try and free up money to sign somebody Boy, else. Talk about the forgotten guy <clears throat> on the bench. Poor, he was the first guy that came here when they were doing the <laughs> rebuild to try and... He just didn't fit into a system. Nah, it just no. didn't happen. Um, all right. let's. Uh, why don't we go to a break? When we come back, we're going to talk about how the Sixers may have to fight the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs for LeBron James. Okay. Stick with us. Are you looking for a lifeline? Verizon New Jersey Shares Communication Lifeline is a statewide nonprofit that provides assistance to individuals and families living in New Jersey, those who are in need of temporary help in paying their communication and energy bills. Want to know how to apply? All you need to do is call Verizon New Jersey Shares at 1-888-337-3339 or visit on the web at www.NewJerseyShares.org. It's quick and easy to sign up, but remember, you must be a Verizon Residential Landline customer to apply for eligible programs. That's Verizon New Jersey Shares, keeping the lines of communication open for you and your family. Welcome back to our High Hopes Phillies Minor League Rundown uh, uh, portion of the show. Jeff, we're back. We went to Lehigh last weekend. Fun, huh? It was a good time. Now, uh, I did decide to bring you something back. You did? I did, because you you left during the rain delay, and the the rest of us stayed so that we could watch. Did you bring me bacon? The rain. I, I brought you even better. You brought so, me a bacon T-shirt. So we're not on TV. That's awesome. You brought me a bacon USA T-shirt. So that's fantastic. This is, this is what they wear on on one of the days. Turn it around so Ryan, our producer, can see it. He's and, very jealous. And so it says oh, Bacon it, USA, and on and the it's back, got it Eflin's, says Eflin's name and number on that's it. That's right. Look so, at that. So, you got me a gift. That's right. So when you're watching the Phillies this weekend, I can be wearing you my. You can wear your Eflin shirt. With its Bacon USA on the front. That's pretty awesome. Ryan Lennox, I know you're jealous of the fact that I have a bacon t-shirt now. Yeah, he's he's shaking his head back there. It was a fun time out there. Uh, the organization, first class, treated us. <laughs> from from literally from top to bottom. From start to finish. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, got to talk to a bunch of different players, manager. So what? You, that, was your, that was your first time at that stadium? At right? that stadium. So what did you think of it? Their branding and marketing is spectacular. Yeah. Well, what did you think of the stadium, though? It's a great looking stadium, is it? I mean, it's it's funny. It's uh, bigger than Lakewood, but mm-hmm. sort of has a similar feel to it in yeah. terms of the the concessions and the things you can do in the outfield and um, a lot a lot of the same things. But at the same time, it was it's definitely themed for Allentown and for Lehigh Valley. And even even though as as they walked us through the history of it, it, it was not originally intended to be this. So the, if people don't know, the original name of the Iron Pigs comes from the history of it being a steel town out between Allentown and, and Bethlehem. Pig iron is used in the, in the making and production of steel. So they, all they did was they flipped it around to make them the Iron Pigs. 
It was only years later when the marketing team, somebody in the marketing team got Geniuses. a hold of this. Geniuses. And turned this into a smorgasbord. Of bacon. Of bacon stuff. And they take so. it to the... To the manager's office name. What was the nameplate, Jeff? Boss Hog. I mean, it was. How, how about how about the the uh, locker room? The the different areas of the locker rooms were called Pigsty One, Pigsty Two. <laughs> they, they really carried it through on every level, yeah. and it's it's and the food. And the food. There's, there's plenty of bacon. Bacon options. wrapped on everything. Look, you can't go wrong with bacon. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> just, I'm just gonna say the uniforms, can't. as you see, have bacon on them. The hats have bacon on them. Instead of a pinstripe, they got bacon on the pants. It's bacon everywhere. And we should give a thank you to Pat McCarthy, who welcomed us out there and was extremely helpful. He was setting up some interviews. We'll actually and, and have, to the players and coaches. Yeah, I we'll mean, have, everybody was just you know open arms about this uh, this little experiment we're doing. I think it went really well. And we'll have an interview with Pat in the coming weeks, who talks about the marketing and branding of the team and their involvement in the community. But you got to you know we always talk about family. You got to stay at the game with your son. Mm-hmm. And have that experience through the raindrops, through the rain delay, mm-hmm. to our rain delay. You uh-huh. stayed. Uh, you saw a good pitching matchup. You saw a walk off. You, you you had a fun day. Well, you you got to see everything that makes minor league baseball minor league baseball. So, for example, uh, they were supposed. There are two starters for the other team. It was the Buffalo Bisons. Yes, it is plural. We don't know why, but they're the bisons, not bison. Not bison. Yes. That's, is that, there, our, there was is a that whole, our English there was, lesson for the day? There was a whole big debate about that in the, the media cl- Is box. that what happens yes. during a rain delay? So during a rain delay, oh. the biggest dis- discussion is why they're called the bisons instead of the bison. This, this team so. is in first place. <laughs> They have the best well, home record, and you're all talking a about a two-hour rain delay. There's only so much you could talk about. So, right. so anyway, their two pitchers for the weekend got called up to the Blue Jays. They're the Blue Blue Jays minor league AAA affiliate. They had no pitcher for the day because they called them up. Because basically, what happens is whatever the big league club wants, the big league club gets at the, at the expense of the minor league teams. So they flew up a pitcher from Single A, who had never pitched above that level, to from Florida to get there by game time to pitch for their team. Minor league and he, baseball. And he, and he pitched incredibly well. And in the meantime, you had players who were rooting for the hockey game <laughs> playoffs. <laughs> and one of those will be one of the people we interview, which is Nick Rickles, who is a... A, a now resident of Vegas. A so big time Las Vegas Golden yes, Knights yes. fan. We didn't ask him about it in the interview, no. but uh, we had fun talking with him about that. And, and you usually have weird plays in the minor leagues. I don't know why. I don't know. The equipment should be the same. Yeah, but this game ended on a weird so, play so that it, you saw So Saturday. the game-winning run came in when the first baseman's mitt apparently exploded. Um, the, the ball was thrown from the left side of the infield to the right side of the infield and kept going through the glove. And it just didn't survive. Game <laughs> the over. The glove did not survive, and the ball went through. Fireworks and, went off. All done. Uh, I don't know if they did the fireworks. It was a fireworks night, but because of the rain, I don't know if they did the actual fireworks. So the the big story was actually that um, they basically told LeBron that he's no Michael Jordan until he comes plays minor league baseball. That's right. And invited him to play for the Lehigh Valley Iron. And that was the general manager who came up with that idea supposedly and it so. got them international news well they put up a billboard 
it. It's not like they just tweeted something. I was getting like push alerts and text messages on my phone from like ESPN and other places. <laughs> this is before we went to do the interview. Mm-hmm. So we got to ask him about it. And the interesting thing is Gary Jones, the manager, has a history with Michael Jordan in the minor leagues, correct? Uh, the, well, I mean, we didn't get this story in our interview, but but apparently there's a, there's a story about how Michael Jordan decided to steal third base um, in a game where they were up by seven, I think. And <laughs> One of those unwritten rules of baseball yeah. that you like, Jeff. And, yeah, and, and apparently Michael Jordan had to go to the locker room and apologize to the other <laughs> team or just decided to apologize to the other team. I, j- I thought it was very creative of them to, uh, you know, as somebody who does marketing in my day job, to newsjack off of LeBron James and get yourself out there and, and get headlines for your franchise. And LeBron, can, once the playoffs is over, he should be able to make his way to Allentown and at least have some fun with this. He should be, uh, and they should. I don't think anybody ever answered the question that I have: Would would he be the tallest iron pig ever? Probably. I, I'm wondering. I don't. I'll let you go with it. If anybody, if anybody, of course knows, you would wonder about people's height. Why can't we no, just go through a show and not that, worry about people? I think how that's tall a pretty are. good trivia question. Is is who were the, were there any Phillies minor leaguers taller than LeBron James? I'd like to know if there's the shortest. Phillies player, so thanks. Okay, so then let's ask that question, too. Well, why don't we go to the questions that we asked the players, like Roman Quinn, because he was much more interesting than our height argument. Okay, I'll All go right. for that. Let's uh, let's listen to our interview with Roman Quinn that we did in the dugout before Saturday's game. Uh, we're here with Roman Quinn in Lehigh Valley. Roman, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. How you doing? Good. Uh, Roman, uh, tell us a little about, a bit about this season. Uh, it's going pretty well, man. We uh we have we have a great coach, man, and Gary Jones, and uh, we have really good players here, man, and uh, we all putting together and we playing great baseball right now. So that's uh, exciting to see. So, what's the difference between being coached by Gary Jones and Dusty Wathen? Uh, it's really no difference. Uh, both of them guys pretty much laid back, and you pretty much have that uh, you know like they're a pl- they're a player out there, man. You can talk to them about anything, and uh, and what was it like to be drafted? Uh, it was a great experience. Uh, everything um, I dreamed of and more. And uh, me and my dad, we worked hard to put ourselves in that position. And without him, uh, I wouldn't be the, the player I am today. Was your dad your coach growing up? He definitely was uh, from a very young age. And uh, I played all three sports. So I played football, basketball, and baseball. So he was my coach in every one of them. He was actually a basketball player. And uh, he learned, actually learned along along the way more about baseball. And uh Definitely helped me out a lot. What was it like to play multiple sports growing up and then choose one? You, you hear a lot about specialization now. We talk a lot on the show about the different lessons you can learn playing different sports. What was it like for you having the opportunity to be a multi-sports star? Uh, it was actually um, the reason I'm the athlete I am today. I tell a lot of people that playing uh, basketball and uh, football gave me a lot of versatility, um, moving side to side, uh, knowing what it feels like to be physical, uh, mentally strong too. And uh, going up against guys that was bigger than me also gave me, you know, that type of confidence that I could play with those guys uh, that's, you know, bigger size and uh, maybe a little quicker than me, too. And um, just the matchup and the competition was great, man. And uh, I enjoy playing all three sports. And, and, and I, I'll definitely say it's the reason I'm the athlete I am today. As a shorter person myself, I appreciate you going after the taller people for us. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, uh, glad, glad you got to hear that. So you came up as a, a right-handed hitter, but the Phillies encouraged you to sort of – 
try out switch hitting. What's it been like to try and develop as a switch hitter, and how has that helped you in terms of your progression? Uh, if you would have talked to me when I was 18, I would have been like, man, I'm ready to give this thing up, man, because when I was young, man, it was tough, especially uh, starting off in pro ball, and you got guys with a little bit more velo and throwing curveballs and change-ups, and just seeing that for the first time, it was tough, and along the way, I started to um, pick little things up, and the more the more reps I got, and the better I the better I felt, and, uh, and, and now I feel like, you know, I, I've been switching in my whole life. So I was looking back, and we, we talk a lot on the show about lessons that athletes learn and then can teach other people. 2013 was a tough year for you, a little adversary. You got, you got hit with a pitch, had you out for the rest of the season. Then you were rehabbing, and you tore your Achilles. What was it like for you as somebody who had always had that success and, and been a star in multiple sports to have to overcome those challenges and, and come back from that type of a season and those injuries? It's been tough. It's been tough just because, man, um, that was my first time ever being like injured, having an injury like to that sort that puts me out. And uh, me wanting to be on the field every day and having that mentality to be on the field every day is uh, it, it set me back a little bit. And but the the reason the person the player that I am today is because of those injuries. Uh, it made me mentally stronger and made me overcome a lot of things. And um, and I'm working my way up there and trying to stay healthy and playing 160, 60 some games is uh it's it's a wear and tear on your body and it's different from other sports because uh, other sports you get a you get a break here and there but playing every day is uh is something something I, I had to adjust to. We were in Lakewood a few weeks ago, uh, and we'd like to ask about the difference sometimes between A-ball and as you progress through the system and you talk about being prepared to play 162 games. What's it been like for you, that growth through the system, to be able to be ready for that and prepare your body and yourself mentally? It's been great. Um, I had a lot of coordinators around me, man, and I asked a lot of questions, and a lot of players um, that's you know older than me uh, asked them a lot of questions and to get me ready for you know the different levels and, and coming up. and. And it's it just it just comes with like an age thing, man. Like I, I can remember when I was 18, 19, 20, uh, the way I think now is very different. You know what I mean? It's just like it's just like one of those things you go through, just like life. You know what I mean? And um, baseball has definitely progressed me in all types of ways. And coming up through the system is uh, it's been a blessing, man. It's with the, especially with the same organization and being around the same group of people and uh, players and. You know, getting to learn these different personalities and you know play with a bunch of really good, really talented guys. It's had, it's been it's been special. What's it like the first time you went to spring training and and played with some of those players that you followed growing up that now you're on the same field with? Uh, I can bring back to experience, like especially like I um, debuted when Ryan, it was Ryan Howard's last year, and uh, that's a guy that I grew up watching too. And uh, it was it was special, man, to, to meet to meet the type of guy that he was. And uh, to see what his personality was like, and see what type of player and how he went about his business was uh, was great, man. And uh, it was a, it was a very good moment for me too. Did you learn any lessons from talking to Ryan Howard or any of the other major leaguers? Yes, man. Uh, plenty of them. Just go about your business the right way. Uh, go out there and uh, you know make sure you do what you have to do to get yourself mentally and physically prepared before the game, and that will take you a long ways. What was it like having your dad as a coach for all three sports? It was tough. It's still it's still kind of frustrating because uh, I love the smile. <laughs> yeah, man. Like uh, my dad is uh, definitely he's very he he's very hands on with me and he talks to me. You know about like oh, you need to try this out and try this out. And I'm like, alright, you know I'm a little older now. I can figure it out myself. You know what I mean? So uh, it was tough. It was tough, but it was uh, it was it was it was fun. You know, growing up growing up with him right there behind by my side and coaching my little league teams and. Uh, 
it was it was it was uh it was a blessing for sure was was he a tough coach he could be at times but he was he, he was kind of laid back he he kind of reminded me of uh Gary a little bit. They both old school. They both listen to the same type of music. If you walk by Gary Jones' office, it's like some old school jams playing, and uh, it reminds me of my dad a little bit. Jeff asked because he coached his son's team and, and was a minor league coach, and or not minor league, a little league coach. So he he always likes to, to know what it's like for kids that have their fathers as their coach. Yeah, it's not, I mean, it, <laughs> it, 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 yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, I, I'm sure dads can be a little tough on their sons and everything like that, but um. No, it was. I mean, it's it's the player I am. He, he's the reason why I'm the player I am today. And uh, he molded me, and he told me the things that he t- actually taught me. You know, along the ways. I, as I got older, I look back and I be like, man, he was exactly right. And now, now um, I, I feel like it got me prepared wait, for this level. Say that again. Jeff Jeff may cut that section out of the interview and play it for his family over and over again. Uh, what's it like to now have uh, gone through the system for a few years and see younger players come up and be that player that they come to to ask questions as opposed to the new guy in the room who's asking other people about things? I know for me, uh, when I was when I first came up too, I was kind of you know you know shy. You know I didn't want to say too much to. Certain people asked too many questions just because, um, I don't know, I just had that feeling, you know, that they was going, you know, kind of neglect me and whatnot. But, um, but no, but once I, once I got older, I started to realize that, uh, you know, these guys here to help you too, you know what I mean? They want, and they actually want you to ask these questions, you know, to pick their brain. So even, I still do it today with, uh, even with Colin Cowgill and, uh, Trevor Plouffe, we got up in there. I asked them plenty of questions, man. They got, uh, at least seven to seven, eight years in the big league, so why not pick their brain? What's it like to have people come to the stadium to watch you and look up to you? I mean, that's not something that you can really prepare yourself for when you're learning how to swing or, or play in the outfield. That's something I assume you got to get along the way. What's that like for you to, to see the reaction that you now get from people when they see you? It's cool, man. Um, just because where I grew up, in the neighborhood that I came up in, I know kids are looking up to me, so it gives me a reason to go out there and play hard and uh, play the game the right way. How often do you go back to the neighborhood and talk to the kids that are there? Uh, every year. Every I even live I live there in the off season, so anytime I can go to the school and talk to them, I definitely do it, and uh, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy it, and they and some of them ask me a lot of questions, and I give them the answers. Um, answers that you know that from my past experience and um, learning while I'm while, while I'm here and um, I feel like it's uh, it could be it could be a blessing to to them too you know and um, give them a little hope that they can they can go out there and achieve their goals too what's the most important lesson you think you can impart to those kids man just uh if you have if you have any type of dream man just you know just push yourself and go out there uh, I had plenty of people tell me when I was young that I wasn't gonna you know amount to this because I know as a young age I was I was wanted to play professional baseball and I had teachers and, and uh, I had friends of like nah man you know you should just just try something else and I'm like nah this is exactly what I want man so I spoke it I spoke it into existence and uh, everything ended up happening just right for me. What was your number growing up? My number was four growing up. Why? Uh, I don't know man I just like the lower numbers for some reason it was either one two three or four and. Uh, that's uh, that's what numbers I played around with. And what's gonna, what's your walk up music? Uh, it is it is skirt skirt by this dude named Kodak Black. Uh, he's from Florida, so um, it's an artist that I grew up grew up listening to. Well, Roman, thank you for your time and good luck with the season. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate you guys.
Poor Jeff, you had no idea who his walk-up music was. Wait, at all. wait, wait, wait! <laughs> I didn't know. Did either. you? No. Okay, hey, look, I may be older, but you're just as unhip. <laughs> that was a fun interview with him. Yes, it was. Uh, talking about the lessons and uh, that he has to kids when he goes back in the community. Um, and how diplomatic he was about his dad coaching all of his teams. If so that only was, people could see his face that when was, we were asking That was questions. a funny exchange because Jeff coached uh, his son's little league team. And so you've got Jeff's son there watching as as Roman talks about what it was like to play for his dad. And all I wanted to do was stick the mic in Jeff's son face and say, what was it like to play for your dad? Uh, he wouldn't have been as <laughs> diplomatic, I'm pretty sure. It, it was, but, ever, but a lot of people can relate to that, and, it, and I think that's one of the great things about baseball. The difference between players that are sort of just getting started, like when we talked in Lakewood at A-Ball, and when they've, they've seen a little bit of the show, <laughs> and, the, and they're, they're back it's and amazing. forth. And I mean, they, they just have, they seem to have so much more experience. And we asked him about that, you know, what's it like, you know, he was in spring training with Ryan Howard and asking, and then all of a sudden now he's the guy that they're going to asking for advice about things. And and you see that change as they move through the farm system. Yeah, I think I think one of the, pe- one of the things people will notice about this show is the way that we've structured it, I'd like to think it was on purpose, probably by accident, is, is that we started out with a single-A team, and the guys that we interviewed the first week of our show were bright-eyed. Uh, Will Stewart was talking about how he would, this, the stadium was huge, and they get three meals a day, and you know who they meet. And, and then we went to AAA next, and Roman Quinn, who's been in the major, so he's already had a taste of that, and Nick Rickles, who we're going to talk about next, are guys that are at the different part of their career. Now this is more professional. Now it's getting the job done because this is their job. And it, it's, it's amazing to watch that growth because they all have to go through this. You mentioned Nick Rickles. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick Rickles is a different stage in his life now. Uh, he's not just playing for himself anymore. He's got a young child. For every, anybody listening, go to the internet and type in Nick Rickles catching baby and you will see that that when his wife was pregnant uh, he got put his catcher's gear on and got in front of her like he was about to catch the baby it's a great picture he had a good laugh about that uh, let's uh let's play the interview with him and I think you'll hear a little bit of the difference in terms of as the players go through what experience and life throws their way so we're here with Nick Rickles of the Lehigh Valley Iron Picks Nick, Nick how you doing today pretty good how about you guys uh, we can't complain. Thanks for uh, giving us a few minutes. So we're actually going to start with a little World Baseball Classic for you. Uh, Jeff laughs all the time because I spent plenty of time watching that at odd hours of the night and morning. You played for Team Israel. What was it like to have that experience? Uh, I would say up to this point in my career, it's definitely been the highlight of it. Um, you know, we, we got knocked out pretty early in 2012. I think we kind of underestimated our competition um, and didn't really understand the uh, know the fan base that we had behind us so getting the second time around and having eight or nine guys that were returning from that team was was nice with a little experience but I'd have to say Japan was probably the craziest game I've ever been a part of there was 55,000 people in the stands um, and each one of their hitters had their own special chant so there was 55,000 people singing in sync together which was I mean you couldn't we couldn't have a conversation like this you couldn't hear who was next to you which was pretty crazy 
How does an experience like that prepare you when you come back and you're, you're trying to make your way up through the system? You come back after playing in a stadium that, that, that's that large and an experience like that with that pressure. What does that do for you as a player in your own development? I think it definitely helped me in the sense of understanding how to calm my nerves because if you can calm your nerves in, in an atmosphere of 55,000 people, um, you know, even spring training games, maybe upwards of 10,000. I mean, a good night here, we probably have 10,000. Um, so, you know, one-fifth of that cheering doesn't seem very uh, very loud compared to what you have over there, especially the type of baseball that it was. It's almost like a playoff atmosphere every single game. So I, I would say it definitely helped me understand how to calm my nerves um, in certain situations where prior to that I uh, kind of felt like, you know, you're a little um, ahead of yourself. So it definitely helped me with that. We were in Lakewood a few weeks ago talking to some of the players, and as you've moved up through the system, what's the difference playing at this level at AAA than it was playing at some of the lower levels for uh, for the minor students? So I think it's just consistency on all, on um, you know all accounts. You got pitchers that throw a lot more, uh, have a lot more command of all their pitches on a consistent basis, day in day out. Same with the hitters, um, they're able, they're able to make almost in game adjustments a lot quicker, almost you know mid at bat adjustments. And uh, you know you see a lot more of um, scouting report up up here because you know you've these guys that have played here have already been in pro ball for three, four, five, you know upwards of ten years, so you have all this information that's available that you don't necessarily have at those levels because there's a lot of first, second year guys. Um, but I would say consistency overall, just of uh, the competition level, would be tops. So one of the things at AAA that you get to see is you get to see guys that come back down from the major leagues. Uh, do you notice any difference between the pitchers coming up and the pitchers that come back down? Uh, I would just say more so on their work pregame. I think uh, once you get to the big leagues, you have all of this information and you have to learn how to analyze it and use it to your strengths. Uh, as you move up to the systems, you, you, you know, gain more information. You know, you have, like I said, more scouting reports as you go up. So it could be overwhelming for a first-year guy that has all of this in front of him and doesn't know how to utilize it to his strengths. Uh, guys coming down, it's almost like a, when I'm catching, it's like a night off almost because they're so prepared on you know, their stuff and their, you know, the hitters that they're facing that it's easy to get on the same page. It takes one conversation as opposed to a guy that hasn't pitched in this league before and hasn't faced these guys. And you have to go in almost every inning and you have to get them prepared each inning and in between each inning. As a, catch, a catcher who's coming up in the minor leagues, when you're at single A versus when you're at triple A, do you call more of a game as you get more experience or do you call less of a game because the pitchers are more experienced in deciding what kind of pitchers they're more comfortable with? I would say it would just uh, the game plan dictates that a little bit more, but uh, I would say I have to call more of a game based on my, my information that I have at the lower levels. Once I move up, it becomes more of a, you know, you're, you're with a guy that knows his stuff at this point in his career. So it makes it a little easier. What's it like when you're in the groove and you, you don't have to make any adjustments? You just you call the game, there's no shake-off, there's no nothing. You, you guys are in sync on the same page and know exactly what you want to do that night. It's easy to hit that day. You know, it, it, As a catcher, you have to put so much preparation into not only knowing your pitcher, but then you got to put on the hitting side of it as well and understand what guy you're going to face on that night. So when you got a guy for you know us that you know is so prepared, that it's almost like a not necessarily a mental off day, but it gives you that little bit of extra preparation time to get yourself ready as a hitter. So I, I find myself having better games um, hitting when a guy in the mound is, is very well prepared. Being behind the plate, you know better than anybody what the strike zone is for that day. How does that help you prepare as a hitter and to prepare your teammates when you go back to the dugout to say, this is what the ump's doing today, you know, look out for this or, or prepare for that? Right. So with the amount of umpires we have in this league, um, I'm not sure the exact amount, but it changes series to series. So 
I'd say about the first after the first inning, um, being back there, you have a pretty good feel, and that's when you communicate it to the guys. But uh, you know, they're they're human, just like us. So there's a lot of you know calls that could go either way. So it's almost you don't want to give too much information because then your guy's going to really believe like, oh, he he might not be giving you know two three balls off the plate tonight, and then strikes a guy out and he looks at you like, why did you tell me that? Um, so you kind of just have to tailor the information that you pass along to the hitters as a catcher. Most of the uh, minor league players, when they go from high school or college to the minor leagues, it, it's a big change of life. You've had a bigger change of life over the last year. Uh, what's it been like being a dad and getting prepared for a season? Right, so I always said growing up that I just wanted my child to be able to see me play baseball. So, you know, she's only four months old, not, not saying she's going to remember, but we have a ton of pictures. And um, I think it almost gives you a different sense of what you're playing for. You know, when you're when you're single, married, you know, you don't have a child on the way, you're still playing for your family in a sense, but now you're playing to put food on the table. You know, I got to take care of a little one. Uh, so every day, if I don't prepare the way I should prepare, you know, it's it's hurting her potential future of things I would be able to provide her as a father. So it almost gives you that extra drive to put in the extra 10 cents on top of the extra 10 cents you're already putting in. So uh, what's your walk-up music? Oh, it's a theme song for The Office. There we go. Now that's a good one. And what numbers have you worn coming up? Uh, I've had nine a lot of my career. I wore 15 here briefly, and uh, thankfully nine opened up this year, and I was able to grab that. So did you get a chance to go up to Scranton and see Dunder Mifflin? Uh, I'm not even sure if they filmed it there. I know a lot of those shows are not filmed in the actual city, but uh, when Scranton, we played Scranton earlier in the year, and a bunch of those guys were like, hey, man, you deserve a hit every at-bat with that kind of walk-up. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I like to be the funny guy sometimes. Well, thanks for joining us, Nick. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Yes, that. Like, anybody who can come up to the plate with office uh, music is, uh, is good by me. Yeah, I, I, well, he's... All I did was turn to him and ask if he's seen my stapler. Like, it was... He knows everything about The Office. And by the way, if you looked at him, you'd be kind of nervous. I mean, he looks like a really tough guy, but he's one of the nicest guys I've ever met in sports. So again, talking to him, you got a different level of experience. First of all, I love talking to catchers. Mm -hmm. They give you insight that nobody gets. To, to hear him say that he hits better on a day that a pitcher and he are in a groove. Well, when they're more experienced. When they're pitchers. more experienced yeah. and, and they don't, like, it's, you don't often think about the impact on the catcher's game by how much they have to call the game in yeah, terms it's, of. It's, it's usually the physical stress that's put on a catcher. It's, it's not. It's, it's the, the mental, mental stress because every other player gets to take a play off. The ball's always coming to him. He's calling the game. So when he gets an experienced pitcher, he kind of gets to rest his mind just a little bit. And to hear him talk about what it's like to play for his child now. Um, you know, you got these these young guys coming in, drafted out of high school that we interview in Lakewood, mm -hmm. and here you have somebody who's now preparing for life as a father. Ten years later. Ten years later, yeah. and it, it's fun to watch sort of the progression of these players as they go through the system and the different stages that they're at in life and the experience that they bring to that. The maturity, and I think that's that's what comes through with him and Roman, is, is that they both see themselves now as somebody to teach younger kids where a few years ago they were the ones being taught. And so it, it's interesting to see the progression, the maturity, 
and to kind of root to see them get to the next level. I mean, after hearing that interview, how could anybody not want to see Nick Rickles succeed? And we will continue with more interviews from Lehigh Valley. We'll have more on the other minor league teams in the Philly system next week. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.